welcome to episode 197 of the panel scanners how you doing i'm gary uh welcome for thank you for joining us uh with me tonight uh running kind of low tonight uh just you and me huh buddy uh, darren how you doing gary is that a uh just for chit chat purposes or you really want to well know? you know because we might need a episode 198 if you really want to go through it all i suppose you're right it's gonna be we are we are branching out to some degree as uh i would say uh, we're experimenting with the format, as Phil would say, and as Matt would say. So, and Mark is just trying to get some sleep. Yeah, as I mentioned, we're running a little lights. Uh, Mark is still uh, adjusting to uh, parenthood. Um, and as we've mentioned before, uh, we have a number of educators among us and a pole dancer. And those educators are busy, uh, with the exception of Darren course your your uh, job is to guess which of us is the pole dancer mm. all I right i put it myself already on that one but yeah yeah how are you man how you doing all right um c- coming off of a busy weekend at birthday parties uh getting my daughter a driver's license uh lots of yard work vacation not that long ago so i think i'm coming out the other side might actually have some time to just like I sit was, down and recollect myself. Well, it was great to be at your house. It's been a long time, so thanks for again for the. I invite. miss you, man. Like we don't get to hang out as much. No, as we, used to. we don't. And when we do, you're on the other side of a video screen, which is yeah. is good enough. It's gonna have to do. We have to watch. Are you ready for this? This winter, or we're leaning into the holiday season, we need to do one of our days. I've had Strange Brew on Blu-ray for three years now that we still haven't watched it. Seriously? Yes. And I know Matt loves that movie too. Yeah, no, I, I've got it on uh, VHS tape. Oh, that needs to but be I honest. not have a VHS player anymore. That I works. have one. I, lo- no, I I think I do, but it's been a while since I've ran anything, and I think the last thing I played at 8. Oh, so, well, I have a working one. Anyways. Yes. So, anyway, um, since this is our, uh, I guess, main format or uh, home base, uh, there's a lot that has happened while we were away. Yeah, what do you got, Darren? Gary, while we were away, the city of Cleveland, most predominantly the uh, Cleveland Public Library, announced their programming for this fall as Superman celebrates his 85th birthday. Uh, DC would have us say, would prefer that we say we're celebrating the 85th anniversary because Superman was not born in Cleveland, he was born in Krypton. Semantics, okay. I claim Superman as a hometown boy and always will. But there's a lot of stuff that's, I mean, this is not just doing it one day. I'm looking at September 6th through, um, it goes through October. They're doing all kinds of stuff. I'm going to read off some of the public or some of the, the stuff we're going to be doing here on Wednesday, September. Well, so stuff. some stuff has already happened as we sit here on the 14th recording. The next one coming up is September 16th. That's a Superman zine-making workshop with Zygote Press. Um, then on the September 19th, Superman was born at Glenville High. And that will take place. These are all at the Cleveland Public Library. That one's at the West Branch. Um, on the 23rd, Superman, The Future of a Legend, a live interview with Philip Kennedy Johnson. Um and that's at the Incubator Conference, a Cleveland Book Week special. Saturday, the 23rd, 
Philip Kennedy Johnson, he signs at Carolyn Johns. He'll be there at Carolyn Johns. He's written action That's comics. That's right. He's written Green Lantern, The Incredible Hawk, and more. He'll be there from 4 to 6 on September 23rd at our, our uh, favorite comic shop. Uh, 24th, Pop-Up Comics Making Workshop and Superman Poster Signing with Dan Gorman. Um he was the art uh, he's the artist of Superman's Cleveland poster uh, which I've seen it's really cool then we, there's more book discussions Tri C Western campus is going to host Superman's son of Kal-El the truth um, Super Boys by Brad Ricca that's at Ursuline College so these things I'm not going to read through all of them um, Mark Wade there's a book discussion on Mark Wade's Superman birthright that'll take place uh, at Book House Brewing. Now, that would be one I'd love to love to go to. And then, live conversation on Saturday, October 7th with Ed Gross and Mark Wade. Mark Wade, of course, a cleaner and a big, uh, big influence in Superman. And Mark Wade will be signing at Carolyn John's on October 13th. Uh, he will also play some trivia with Carolyn John's uh, from 8 to 10 on Friday, October 13th. Boy, would that be super fun to go to, especially for someone like me who claims uh, full love of Superman as his favorite character. Um, so there's so much more to, to come. He, Mark Wade's going to also be at the Cleveland Public Library. Senate Grace, he's the creator of Superman Harvest of Youth. He's coming into town. Um, there's just so much coming. And I'm, I'm scrolling down October 28th. There's something going on. Um, all the way through October 29th, November 2nd. So the, these... Uh, all these events go, they started on September 2nd. They're going all the way through November 2nd. For more on this, you could go to supermanscleveland.com uh, and you will see the schedule of all of these things. It seems like, you know, God bless the people who put this one together because it feels like the city, you know, never really embraced its Superman heritage that we are the birthplace of the greatest superhero of all time. Maybe the original superhero as well. So, I, I I mean, me being me, I really do need to get to some of these, and I hope I can. Um, I, I was honestly not expecting you to cover, like, six weeks of events. It's it's insane. I mean, it, it's like, hopefully this is more of the region embracing this, one of the most enduring American uh, icons. And I hate using the term icon because we use it so often. I mean, it, icon isn't doesn't adequately describe what superman is to me all right right um now you've covered that before yeah i have okay so 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 that's local we got anything uh, a little more uh, broad reaching oh we sure do uh most recently destination d23 made its disney parks presentation and there is a lot of stuff on the horizon mark i assume that you're listening which he's not and i assume that you have not read any of this which you have but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Um, they made a ton of presentations about some of the things that are going to be changing and coming to the Disney parks over the next couple of, like very, very soon in some cases. Um, number one, the first announcement they made tying into what's happening right now, Ahsoka is going to become of the Star Tours attraction globally, and that's going to be next spring. Um, right. Yeah, so that she's coming to Disney next spring. The new movie, Wish, 
Asha is going to be part of Epcot, Disneyland, and Disneyland Paris. The Hatbox Ghost is going to be joining the Haunted Mansion in the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World late November 2023. That's kind of awesome. The Hatbox Ghost was a Disneyland exclusive. The Hatbox Ghost was sort of in and out of Disneyland because of it. they couldn't quite get it right. It didn't work sometimes. It, I believe it only made its return within the last 10 years. And now they're going to bring it, uh, finally bringing the Hatbox Ghost to the Haunted Mansion for the first time. I love the Hatbox Ghost. Another cool thing that was announced, it's been a lot of rumors that the Country Bear Jamboree was going Whoa. to be gone. But not only is that not true, um, there's going to be new songs and they revealed a new poster. So they're they're not going anywhere. In fact, they're going to be putting some more time and effort into the Country Bear Jamboree, which is, I was glad to hear that. Um, more rides and vehicles coming to, which will be a third attraction for the Avengers Campus at Disneyland. Um, World Celebration will open at Epcot in December. Journey of Water, inspired by Moana, opens October 16th of this year. Moana herself will be greeting guests in her own new dedicated space, uh, Luminous. Now, this is something that um, I'm going to be paying very, very close attention to because my beautiful wife was um, a massive fan of Epcot's fireworks show that they canceled. And they already canceled the one that was um, the, the one they, re they replaced it with. One of her favorite attractions, and I this is driving me crazy that it's escaping me. We're recording pretty late here. The name of it, um, of the original. Look this up for me, will you, Gary? This is going to drive me crazy. Epcot's Fireworks Show. Um, Luminous is it the new one. What's that? It has a name? Yes, it does. Um, Epcot's Fireworks. We, we were just there a couple weeks ago. Yeah, well, um, this thing was canceled two years ago. They They... It was the one with the ball that would come out and it would open up. The, the earth would open up. Uh, um, okay. Um, find out. You're on this. But Luminous is the, the new one or the current? The, the old one. Oh, the old one. Your, okay. your task now. I can't believe I have to repeat this, man. Come on. Epcot Forever? No. Okay. No, this is going poorly. Fireworks. Epcot Forever. Illuminations. That was it. Illuminations. Epcot's original, Epcot's Illuminations Fireworks Show was there for many, many, many years. It was my wife's favorite attraction. And they ended up shutting it down. We did see the one they replaced it with, which is only around for about 18 months, and then they shut that one down. So now Luminous, the Symphony of Us, will debut at Epcot on December 5th of this year. I'm sure we will be watching it on Disney Parks Plus. I'm sure Maria is very... Going to be watching that very critically. Let's put it that way. Um, Test Track is finally getting its renovation. It's reimagining. It was starting to get a little dated. And some of the things weren't working as well. I know a lot of those consoles, when you go in and design your car, the, you just, you're having less and less um, options. Now. Okay. Um, okay, so. There... I, there is now I, one of the pavilions is being replaced at Epcot. We're not sure exactly which one. One of them closed down, and I thought it was Morocco was the one that was shut down because they lost the, the, the whatever the contract was up. 
Um, the rights? <laughs> the rights to our country, whatever. It seems like the rumor is the Bahamas is going to be one of the ones that's going to may replace it. So you know, that'll be cool. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think what we passed that was under construction at the time. Yeah, you were. it wasn't too long ago you were there. I know. It was, it's a matter of a couple of weeks. And I. they had some sort of like... Uh, food fest going on at the time so there were a little like pop-ups all over the place so there, there was a lot of a lot of stuff that wasn't normally there yeah because i think one of the i know one of the pavilions closed down and it was the one i think right before you crossed the bridge into italy maybe i don't think so i don't remember that's okay. hard i love that park it's just but there's so much as long as the canadian pavilion stays where it is i'm happy Oh, it's my, there. Oh, my, they did, they did uh, change the show. It's no longer. Uh, it's it's now. Uh, I saw it. And oh, you saw it. Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, it was it was good. Yeah. I love Martin Short, but I was upset they were replacing Martin Short. And then you went in, and you saw those two. You're like, okay, oh, I'm good. I'm yeah, good. we're good. Yeah. We're okay. We're all right. We're in good hands. Um, uh, oh, there was segment else... is not going anywhere. Oh wait, wait. I'll get to that. Um, okay, sorry. Um. There was some rumors about Big Thunder Mountain being maybe on the way out, but no, uh, it is being expanded. There's expansion taking place behind Big Thunder Mountain, so we'll see what that is. Uh, a Bug's Life is being replaced with Zootopia. Um, mm, I love Bug's Life. I did too. Now, the Figment will begin meeting and greeting in the Imagination Pavilion at Epcot on Sunday, September 10th. That has already happened. I've seen some pictures. He looks great. My wife, I like Figment, but my wife really loves Figment. Yeah, um, we, we just took we took it. We took the regular ride. We did not see a uh, you know roaming Figment. You know, of course, we got you know sweatshirts and t-shirts and I love pretty that. much everything we could grab a Figment. I, I try. I went online a while ago to find the original ride to see if someone took video of it. It keeps getting taken down because it was Robin Williams. Um, oh, that's right. Soren over California is going to return to Epcot. That's this month, September. Didn't know it was gone. Um, and two other announcements. D23 will be August 9th of 2024, which is, uh, you, that's their, um, that's their big announcement. That's where they make all their announcements for everything. And the one final announcement, which does my heart some good, um, new artwork. Have you heard about this, Gary? Dino Land, which they had no. they had let fall into disrepair over the last several years. Um, Dino Land and Animal Kingdom is going to be replaced and reimagined with Encanto, which I absolutely loved, and the dinosaur ride is being replaced with Indiana Jones. Really? Yes. So we're not sure if we're getting Indiana Jones, the the ride that's at Disneyland, um, coming to Animal Kingdom, which is weird. I, I, I love this because, as you know, big Indiana Jones fan. I'm among the biggest Indiana Jones fan. I was chatting with our old co-host, Tim, with, about this. We're excited. But I really, 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 really love that Indiana Jones stunt spectacular. Oh, yeah, you talk about that all the time. That's one of my top five favorite attractions ever. I I fear for that thing now because I don't know, like, what other property is has a presence at two parks other than, like, Mickey Mouse. 
because this is at Animal Kingdom, and the Indiana Jones stunt spectacular. No, they they're all at Hollywood Studios. Um, oh, that's right. I, I've so, never been out to the one in California, so I'm, I'm not educated enough to speak. No, Star Wars is all at Hollywood Studios. It's Star Tours is there, and then you walk from Star Tours past the Muppets into Galaxy's right, Edge. Right. So I don't know. I'm a little worried because I, first of all, I'm glad that Indiana Jones is is there. He's he's still going to be around because from from everything we've heard, the movie flopped. Right. It was not a hit, um, but my take on that was it seemed to me like every movie not named Barbie or Oppenheimer flopped. Everything flopped, including the Mission Impossible movie, because Tom Cruise won't shut his punk-ass little mouth up about it. Um, but I, I hopefully they recognize, like, okay, this doesn't really have anything to do with Indiana Jones's popularity. People just aren't going to movies anymore. Um so I'm glad to see that Indiana Jones is still a priority, at least for now. I'm glad to see he's still going to be around because I could feel like my, I, I never gave my thoughts on the movie. I, uh, I, I said, what was it? At least the fourth best Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> no, but now here, here again, I was not nearly as harsh on crystal skull. Like most other people. I thought there were some highs. I thought there were some lows. Okay. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny has neither lows nor highs. <laughs> I, I think I may have mentioned it's literally, I think, the most okay movie I've ever seen. Honestly, right. it felt like a, a very, very good TV movie of the week did, from did the it 90s. Have a point? Not a plot. Did it have a point? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, okay. like, okay, so we talked about Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I don't think you were there for that episode. Maybe you were. Um, where there were some moments in that movie I really, really loved. But there were so bad, there were some mo bad moments that brought all those moments down. There's no moment I can point out that I thought was absolutely awesome in Dial of Destiny. There is no moment in Dial of Destiny that I can go, that was really stupid. There, none of the, neither of those two things exist in this movie. At all, for two and a half hours wow. so okay anyway but i think this is good news i'm glad indiana jones is still going to be around i no matter what happens i'm of course i'm going to be excited to see what this thing becomes unless it's just a pavilion for a meet and greet with some dude dressed as indiana jones at that point we can all just well you know that would all not right. be the greatest thing in the world moving on from I was going to say, we're not letting you off the hook just yet. So we started local, Cleveland. Mm -hmm. We spread out, you know, to uh, Disney and all of its tentacles around the planet. Yep. Got anything even further out than that? Well, I do. And perhaps you'd like to make a trip to, wow, I almost said a galaxy far, far away. I would get roasted for that one. We're going to oh, venture God, out into the final frontier and a little update on what's uh, rising up my favorite show list, and that's Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which unsurprisingly has been confirmed for Season 3. Not that any doubt existed, as it had been a subscription mover for Paramount+. Plus. However, with the ongoing, as of this recording, posting, writing, SAG after strike, we're looking into 2025 before we see the third season. And it's going to be a tough wait as viewers are left to wonder on the life and death fate of several core characters. While Pike, Spock, Uhura, Chapel, and Mbenga have plot armor, uh, La'an, number one, and Ortegas do not. 
The season one finale left us with kind of a mild cliffhanger. Season two presented what could be dramatic changes to the cast. I don't predict that this is going to occur, though. Um, that show has been so well cast. Everything about that show has been a home run, and they have taken some really big swings and connected almost every time, including the now famous Subspace Rhapsody, which was a musical episode, which at I times, it was so funny. Um, even to the point where Captain Pike, the actor who plays the Manson Mount, is like, I can't sing. And they made a joke out of that. He's like, okay, I can't sing. And, and by the no spoilers here, time mild spoiler alert, I was like, who are they going to kick off? How is this going to stop? And they have, a, they have Broadway actors on the cast. Like, the girl who plays Uhura is, like, a big-time Broadway actor, an amazing singer. And the first person to start singing is Spock. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is absolutely perfect. Which is the last person you'd think exactly. would do Exactly. Which is why they, which is why they went that route. Um, I've said it all That's along. how unavoidable this is. Even Spock's right. doing it. Well, that, I think that, to me, that set the tone. Like, if it happened to him, we're all going to start singing it any minute here. Um, I Scrubs think... This is the Star Trek show for everyone. Hardcore fans love it. Uh, Trek curious fans love it. It's just absolutely fantastic, front to back. It's only twenty episodes, so if you got you can get your hands on it. I can't recommend it that enough. And I'm very excited that it's not gonna. It's gonna be back eventually. We don't know when anything's coming back at this point. Hope you like baking shows because that's literally the only thing you're gonna be able to watch. Yeah, my son watches them constantly. Well, speaking of something that also will not be back, uh, Charles Martinet is the uh, 67-year-old voice actor who has voiced Nintendo's Mario for the last 32 years. Uh, it's been reported back in mid-August that he will be stepping away from the role. Uh, reportedly, Martinez has voiced Mario in more than 150 games, according to GameRadar, dating back to the little-known Mario Teaches Typing. Uh, Martinet will become Mario Ambassador, according to Nintendo, via their social media. And there has been no word on who will be voicing the character going forward. It's a really slow news week, so uh, that's about all I got on that one. That being said... Um, see, I, I, I don't know how to segue to this one, because I don't even know what this is. You're Very talking, of course, of the deceased maze, and the reason yeah. you know this is because it's on our rundown, which is the only reason I know it. Um, okay, so Warner Brothers Movie World, a theme park I did not know existed on the Gold Coast near Queensland, Australia, has been hosting Halloween mazes every fall, similar in theme to those orchestrated by Universal Studios. Uh, my son got hooked on one of those, like someone doing a walkthrough of the Universal Studios maze for Stranger Things. Very impressive. Very impressive stuff. Um, and over the years, Warner Brothers Movie World has reimagined some of their properties into roadshow-type attractions in their parks. Uh, for 2023, they are drawing from one of their more acclaimed major comic publisher events, or as we all know them, DC or Marvel. <laughs> the two main ones, right? Yeah. So their main attraction for this year's maze is Deceased. The play on words referencing the 2019 DC publication that depicted the end of one of the many alternate universes. Deceased, that's D-C-E-A-S-E-D. -E -E See what they did there? D-C-E-A-S-E-D. Yeah. yeah. 
It took place over six issues with a number of spin-offs and sequels to follow. Uh, the story was narr narrated by Lois Lane, detailing the rapid fall of humanity over a period of mere weeks as an anti-life equation runs unhindered, transforming the whole of the globe into a zombie wasteland. Survivors... Oh. Yeah, we've seen this. The thing was... They marketed the heck out of this, so if you were anywhere within okay. sniffing distance of a comic book store, you saw stuff for deceased. Um, survivors not only have to contend with your traditional zombie infection, but those of your favorite superheroes as well, many of whom turned into zombified versions of themselves but maintained their abilities. The maze features full zombified versions of all your favorite heroes and villains. A nifty trailer was released showing some of the costumes... I think this looks so cool. It kind of makes me want to check out that original six-ish run. Um, if you get a chance, just go to YouTube, DC, Deceased Maze. You're going to see the trailer. I think Wonder Woman comes out, Robin comes out, and they're all zombified versions. And at the very end, like someone, like there's a very slow turn of someone in smoking, and it's Batman in the zombified version. They're like, oh, it looks really, really cool. Kind of makes me wonder, like, hey, uh, HBO Max, you got to get content from somewhere. Take a look over here. You might be on to something. Marvel did that, too. I mean, not the maze, but they did a uh, Marvel Zombies thing, too, didn't they? Yeah, Mar I think it was called Marvel Zombies, wasn't it? Yeah, which which is, you know, super original, but... <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, guess what? They don't have a theme park they can use. Oh, wait, they have, like, all of the theme parks except for Warner Brothers yeah. World. They have Universal. They got Disney um probably a couple we don't know about right uncle joe's moonshine parade i don't know something like that <laughs> yeah i don't i i have to say i never i kind of passed on deceased uh because i mean uh, how much else can we read but after seeing what it was about i'm like oh i bet you i really would have enjoyed this thing <laughs> now oh there are so many ways i can segue from Deceased zombies to this next story. Actually, the next two. <laughs> but you know what, though? Time to tip your cap, pour one out, whatever uh, metaphor we want to use, because... The price is wrong. Yeah, okay. If, if you've seen Happy Gilmore, you know the line. Speaking of deceased, uh, also late August, we lost legendary host of the price is right bob barker who died a few weeks a few weeks i'm sorry a few months from his 100th birthday so he got as close to a dollar as he possibly could without going over so you know got the hand to him there uh barker hosted the daytime staple for 35 years uh before passing the torch to drew carey uh bob barker had won 19 daytime emmy awards uh, including a lifetime achievement award uh, along with a couple uh, Best Game Show Awards, things like that. Um, I know he had a gig prior to that, and its name is escaping me. Um, but yeah, no, so, so most of his uh, professional life was, you know, in front of us. You know, I remember Bob Barker, you know, always. Like, he was always there, you know, as far as I knew. He was like a frigid air refrigerator from the 1950s. He, he was time him time itself, immortal, everlasting. Full of Indiana Jones. No. Right. No, that, that's something different. I'm right. Yeah, did you, there was a, an interview with him 
they I then started making the rounds after he passed away of him like and he looked he looked I mean he looked older but definitely he sounded the same. Oh, he yeah. still had that yeah, Bob no, his personality was there to the end. It's just the uh, body decided it was time to go. Yeah, and unfortunately, in more sad news, uh, from the world of wrestling, we got news earlier, late last month, that Terry Funk, who, if you watched, if you ever even turned on wrestling for five minutes, you saw Terry Funk. I mean, he battled Ric Flair, he battled Ricky Steamboat, Mick Foley. He was, like, almost ubiquitous. Pro wrestling and Terry Funk, and he was wrestling hardcore matches into his 70s and 80s. Uh, he did pass away uh, late last month. And uh, staying within the wrestling world, I think it was a day later, we found out that uh, WWE's former champion, Bray Wyatt, um, he, Ma- uh, Wyndham Rotunda, okay. passed away at 36 square. years old. And... Uh, due to COVID-related complications, the stuff that's come out about uh, what happened sure seems like he uh, he did this to himself. He didn't commit suicide, but he needed to wear a pacemaker that he an external pacemaker that he refused to wear, and he got COVID and he couldn't recover. Uh, he came in as he he created a character called the Fiend, and he did this like children's fun house which doesn't sound like it would be awesome but for a minute there it was so out there and so creative that it kind of drew me drew me back in and like everything wrestling they found a way to ruin it um he, he came in as what husky harris uh yeah he was part of some group that was like from a minor from the minor leagues that were supposed to invade um and they got john cena at some point John Cena was what kind of chased me out of wrestling all those years ago. I mean, I just nothing against the guy. I think he's well, great. The Nexus was it? Was that what it was? That they they were. I know. I just know they. I remember that, and I remember him. He like his name. Yeah, I think you're right. His name was Husky Harris, which is like yeah, the I most think, generic. I think he came with uh, DiBiase's kid. For Did like he two matches or something like that? Um. But I know his brother was in the WWE for a while, too. And yes. so this is sad because he had just wrestled a, a couple of months ago against a guy named L.A. Knight in a... It was a like a Cheetos match or a or something. It was like this gimmick match to sell pop or soda or something. And he had an Uncle Howdy come in, which was like an evil uncle of his, and... Okay. It worked. I mean, it was fun. I, I, it's, it, it's, I don't know. Like the WWE, the best quote I ever heard about when WWE finds something you like, it's like a girl who goes to a college party who wears a red sweater and gets a lot of compliments on that red sweater, and then wears that same red sweater everywhere they go for the next three to four months until it they burn it out to where they can't wear it anymore and no one wants to see it anymore. And that's essentially what happened to Bray mm-hmm. Wyatt. Um, I loved yeah. the uh, the Robert De Niro from Cape Fear vibe to his original Bray Wyatt, the coming out of the swamp with the lantern and this the the little uh, wicker fedora and the white pants, and he just looked like the and he was almost like a cult leader, but he was very like yeah. I just thought, and he was extraordinarily athletic for his size. 
I mean, that spider walk he would do. That's like, like, like early 2000s is when uh, I... Exorcist. Yeah. yeah. Early 2000s is when I when the John Cena era rose, which would have been like 2000, 2003. It's when I sort of fell off. I know you and I would watch him just to just to hang out. Um, yeah. But then he was one of those guys I, I sat down and said, whoa, what's going on here? Because this is this something different. He had a huge personality. Oh, I mean, yeah. Was... I mean, like, he was one of those guys. If you're flipping through channels, you're like, this? whoa, okay. And he had the guy in the goat mask and, you know... Anyway, yeah, his he, sense, he uh, you know, introduced uh, Strowman too. He came in as one of his. Uh, was that the was that the other guy? That, because there were one of those guys from the Wyatt family. Another one of them passed away a couple years ago. Was that him? Well, there was what there was what Eric Rowan. There was he was the one. Which one? Well, there's the one bald guy, but then there was a the guy who left, and he was he passed away too, unfortunately. So two of those guys are gone. Oh, great. Anyway, but uh, rest in peace, Bray Wyatt. And finally, and this is another one that kind of hits close to home for those of us who are big fans of Batman the Animated Series, and who isn't? Um, late last year, we lost Kevin Conroy, Batman himself, and now we've lost Harley Quinn, the original voice of Harley Quinn, Arlene Sorkin. Oh, she passed right. away a couple of weeks ago. Um, she originated the role of Harley Quinn, and still to this day, whenever I read the comics, I think it's, I don't know, it's the girl from Big Bang who's doing her voice now. Mark? Not a fan of hers, but loves the show, says she does a great job. Um, but Arlene Sorkin, she was the originator, and she passed away, uh, unfortunately. So uh, She wasn't in... terribly old, was she? I mean, no, she was 50s? I, yeah, 50s or 60s, but she was very talented, very funny, and just seemed right away to understand exactly who Harley Quinn is, and... She is the focal point of one of my top three favorite Batman animated series episodes when which she's the one who captures Batman and she tries to show the Joker's like and just the end of that where Batman's like, you know, she, she came me. she came closer than you ever did, putting like oh that was the great that was like uh and speaking oh, what was that line? Putin he most likely is. <laughs> yeah, at this point he probably is. Uh, well, guess what? Speaking of Batman, we're going to do some Batman right here. And it's, it's a little, little something. Maybe no one of you, no one's really heard of this one. It was sort of a, boy, you're really into the 1986, uh, seminal graphic novels of your last two, right? Cause you tackled the Watchmen, which I can believe came out in 1986, which is considered, um, one of the, maybe the, the most people's pick for the greatest graphic novel. And if they don't pick the Watchmen, what are they picking? Gary. They're picking, they're picking this one. Uh, this is one of Time Magazine's top ten graphic novels of all time. Um, I was thrilled to find out that it was only a four-issue miniseries and much easier to read than Watchmen. Oh. Uh, if you're interested in my award-winning retro review on Watchmen, uh, check out episode 191. Boom. Yes. And let all me right. say before you continue on your Watchmen review, the Watchmen comic has been analyzed and dissected so many times over the years and i'll tell you and, and this is not just because you you, you know we, we've known each other for 150 years at this point and you're my best friend you did probably for anyone who is not sure go back and listen to that because it's the best 
It's one of the best, most succinct takes on the Watchmen that I've ever had the pleasure of sitting and listening to. I thought you nailed that thing, breaking breaking it down, like because everyone's trying to overanalyze it, and you you sort of had a way of saying, "Sure, I get all of that, but you know what? That's probably you reading into it. This is what it is." And I thought, "What a great take!" So I, I still I I thought you did an awesome job. No pressure. For this one. I say, yeah, I know that you set the bar super high for this one. So this time, uh, like you said, since I had tackled one of those uh, seminal works of of comics, I decided to try another one. Uh, This time I went with Batman, The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, This was, as I mentioned, a four-issue miniseries released by DC Comics in 1986, written by the Frank Miller, and illustrated and colored by Miller... Klaus Janssen, and Lynn Varley. Uh, Originally, each issue was published with its own title, The Dark Knight Returns, The Dark Knight Triumphant, Hunt the Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Falls. But when the series was collected later that year, the title of the first was applied to the entire series. In a nutshell, uh, the series is about a 55-year-old Bruce Wayne, uh, once again, taking on the mantle of the bat to save Gotham. From a paramilitary street gang known simply as the Mutants, a relapsed Harvey Dent, a newly inspired Joker, and even Superman himself. Uh, We are introduced to Carrie Kelly as the new self-appointed Robin, and a newly appointed police commissioner, Ellen Yindel, who replaced a newly retired Jim Gordon. So, unlike my last retro review of The Watchmen, I can still tell review the story without too many spoilers. The story takes place in 1986, uh, ten years after the death of Jason Todd. Uh, if you're not familiar, there's the whole Joker, Robin, Crowbar issue. Jason is killed. Okay. So this takes ten years after that. Uh, the 55-year-old Bruce Wayne has tried to be Bruce Wayne. While still a physically imposing figure, age and excess have taken their effects on Bruce. He's trying to be the Bruce Wayne that he had been pretending to be all those years while he was Batman. Bruce, however, is just going through the motions. Uh, The death of his parents still haunts him. The Batman in his mind taunts him. With every news story Bruce watches... The siren song of Batman gets harder and harder to resist. Eventually, the urge is too strong, and Bruce Wayne returns to the streets as the Batman. The story progresses as Batman takes inventory of his bumps and bruises. He's not as fast. His center of gravity has changed. His capsule equipment is not as potent as it was when it was fresh. He bites off more than he can chew in taking on the leader of the mutants, a lean, muscular man in his prime. Batman only survives the encounter due to the outside interference of Carrie Kelly. It's around this time that Batman realizes that he must respect the passage of time and that he's not going to beat this foe relying on brute force like he used to. Batman utilizes some new tactics for the rematch and leaves the playing f- and levels the playing field by fighting in mud, utilizing pressure points, nerve clusters, and eventually defeats the mutant leader in front of the entire mutant organization. The public opinion on Batman is split. 
the police force is no longer accepting and tolerating him. And worst of all, the constant news coverage of Batman snaps the Joker out of a 10-year catastrophic state. Uh, the Joker convinces his doctors that he's been rehabilitated, and after failing so badly with Harvey Dent, they're looking for a win. So they book him as a guest on a David Letterman-esque talk show. The Joker, being the Joker, takes the opportunity to kill everyone there. The audience, the staff, the other guests, his doctors. The Joker stages multiple events simultaneously, forcing Batman to rely on the police force, that is now hunting him. Um, with Batman himself heading for the source. With Robin saving hostages and handling henchmen, Batman battles the Joker, vowing to never let the Joker kill again. Despite already being battered and bruised and having received several gunshots, Batman manages to leave the Joker paralyzed but alive. The Joker, in one last giant F.U. to Batman, manages to somehow finish the job and breaks his own spine, killing himself. With no witnesses around, the police now believe Batman to be a murderer. With Joker's plans involving mayors, governors, and senators, Batman's starting to get national attention. The former mutants rebrand themselves as the Sons of Batman, the U.S. government decides to send in their personal errand boy, Superman, to deal with the situation. Now, there's some side story involving, involving the U.S. government and Russia and Superman's involvement with them. Uh, it's, it's no more than a plot device to lessen Clark's loyalty to a degree. There's uh, an appearance by a one-armed Oliver Queen, who, as you know, Green Arrow. Um... And he apparently has some sort of a beef with the big blue boy scout, as he refers to him, and is there to drop some deep thoughts for Bruce, which shapes the outcome of the Kent versus Wayne confrontation at the end of the book. So that's the nuts and bolts of the story. Now, what I found interesting about this while reading it is I had to remember this is from back in 86. There have been so many instances or so many, this has influenced so many things that we have seen since that reading it in reverse, it almost felt like, oh yeah, I've seen this like Superman versus Batman, you know, the dawn of just ass, you know, even the costume is somewhat of an homage to this battle. You know, the fact that Bruce has, you know, synthesized kryptonite, you know, this is brought up here as well. Um, Batman Beyond has got to have been influenced by this. But the way that the story ends, uh, basically Batman realizes, or Bruce realizes that he's really just too old to do this, but there are young people willing to help. And he begins the job of training them as the next generation. Um, a few little incidentals before I get into like the meat and potatoes of, of my feeling on this book. Um, there's no page numbering in the uh, compiled editions. 
the whole book is about a half inch thick, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you consider the thickness of a piece of paper, uh, it, it, it took me a little longer to read than I thought it was going to. Um, I was not really a fan of the way that the book was laid out. There is a lot of instances of TV news reports where they would show basically these little like TV screen bubbles and just layers upon layers upon layers of them. And sometimes it would be difficult to remember which set of dialogue goes with which picture. And it was there a lot. Um, when you get to the third book, about halfway through, it seems like there's more use of color at that point. I think the first two stories, you know, where Bruce finally gives in to come back as Batman and where he's fighting the street thugs and things like that. It, it, it's a lot darker. It's a lot. I, I don't want to say it's not, darker is probably the best word I can use. Not a lot of use of color until you get later into the story. And then you see a lot more oranges and reds and blues and things like that. So there, there is a definite feel to it. The first book um, like I said, Harvey Dent has been institutionalized and due to medical advances, they fix his face and his psychiatrist has said that he's all healed and ready to go. So Dent escapes, he orchestrates some, some crimes, some things blow up, some things are stolen, uh, Bruce confronts him. He takes the bandages off of Dent's face, and Dent's face is completely healed. He still looks right, but as, as he says, you know, he can now see Dent for who he really is. And as in his mind's eye, he sees two sides of a mess up face. So it's it's not the surgically repaired face that everyone else sees. You know, he sees, I guess, Dent for who he truly is. And as Dent was basically cursing him out, Bruce basically looked at him and said, I see a reflection. So he looks at Dent and he sees himself. Because all through that first issue, you know, he's there trying to pretend to be Bruce Wayne. And yet all this time, you know, this, this Batman, who, again, um, we mentioned uh, Batman Beyond, there was one episode in particular where I think there was some sort of a, an, an implant on, on Bruce's head. It was like post-hypnotic suggestion or something like that. He's like, well, how did you know you weren't going crazy? It's like, well, I kept calling me Bruce. You know, and he's like, you know, I don't call myself that. So here we have Bruce Wayne, you know, Batman, who doesn't really see himself as Bruce Wayne anymore trying to be Bruce Wayne and it just Batman was just trying to get out because that that's who he felt he truly was. And on the flip side, you had Harvey Dent who, you know, was always fighting again with two sides of, you know, of a personality. So that was interesting. Um, Batman's hunting down the Joker. And he says, everyone I've ever murdered by letting you live. It was, it was a phrase he used as he was basically telling himself that, you know, this has to end. 
So Batman holds himself accountable for every life that the Joker has ever taken, you know, because he has refused to kill the Joker and let the Joker live. Everyone that has ever died because of the Joker, he puts upon himself. So as he's Bruce Wayne, he wants to be Batman. As he's Batman, he he just, again, you know, to, the, the weight of the world is on his shoulders at that point. You know, he can very easily step away from it, but when he steps away from it, he gets drawn back into it again. Um, as I've said, this has inspired numerous Batman stories. Um, it was a good read. Um, I wish I had left myself a little more time to do it. Um, there, you, you, of course, have read this before, correct? Okay. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I don't know if you can call yourself a Batman. And if you haven't read this, you have seen images. You have seen the older Batman with the, you know, his his new Robin. You have seen references of Batman fighting Superman. You have seen Batman horseback. You have seen, you've seen something from this, whether you realize it's from it or not. That cover is one of the more famous comic book covers ever of him leaping in the backdrop of the lightning. Yeah, that yeah, that's, that that's thing is a, there. It's just yeah, that's from the collected work, the right? Lightning behind him. Yeah, that thing is ex- that's very famous. It's a very famous cover. Um, Stephen King. Here we go. Possibly the finest piece of comic art ever published in a popular edition. I mean, it's high that praise, is, uh, right? That is. So yeah, I don't think there's as much uh, you know hidden material in this as there was with Watchmen. It, it's it's a pretty much a straight out story of no there there was uh one fun part you know at this point jim gordon knows bruce wayne is batman and they're just like having drinks together and gordon made some reference about how you know back in bruce's playboy days how he used to drink ginger ale pretending it to be champagne you know so because yeah, of course, now as he's given up Batman, he's drinking actual champagne, he's drinking actual wine, he's eating the food, which is why, you know, 10 years later, his body's, you know, like I said, while he's still an imposing figure, you know, he's got to put on some extra weight, you know, he doesn't have the same same build he used to, you know, so as he gets back into the swing of things, he has to learn to readjust, you know, he doesn't bend the way he used to, he doesn't recover like he used to, you know, he doesn't move the way he used to, he's slower, you know, his mind is telling him to go and his body's just not reacting. And it's, uh, he just calls himself lucky constantly in here. Like, you know, he, he should have been dead several times. Like, this is a dumb way to die. He has mentioned several times throughout this story. And yet he keeps doing it. So, enjoyable read. Um, again, I can see why it's gotten the praise it has. And like I said, I, I, it's it, reading it, I don't want to say in reverse, but again, uh, a book from 86, when this has been mined so heavily since, you know, loses some effect because, you know, these are not new concepts, you know, because you've seen them before elsewhere. But to someone who is new, you know, this will blow their mind. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, this was the first time you've read it, right? Cover to cover? Correct. Yes. I I wrote down before, like, to remind myself to ask you, even though you're reading it for the first time, how much of it felt familiar? 
most of it. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I've either seen images or, like I said, some of the, the, the plot points have been used. Now, the, the whole side story about Superman and and the and the government and stuff like that, I mean, I, even that's been kind of tapped into before. Oh, sure. But um, just not to the, I guess, extent that this one like goes into great detail. The Of all the things in this that really kind of weirded me out is when Superman took on that nuke and he, he became all shriveled up. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's some, that's pretty fun from him. Yeah. That's that's some iconography out of that book. That's pretty famous too. And they and by the way, ever since uh, that was done in a Dark Knight, they've done that dozens and dozens of times with Superman. It's mm. like ever since they did that, any chance they get to have Superman like block out the sun by taking out a nuke, they do it. You know, <laughs> it's oh, it's, it's it's like we could do it again, guys. Um, yeah, the, the nuclear winter. Right, um, the nuclear winter. Uh, I feel as though there is now so since this came out, working on forty years now, thirty-seven, thirty-five, thirty-six years now. Almost every character needed to have. Well, this is the Dark Knight version of Spider-Man. This is the Dark Knight version for uh, Captain America. Like they've all had to have their version of this. So they had to have, like that really because I mean this comes out. In comic books, boon period. The 1980s, which largely, and then this is not to say anything about other comic book eras, but the 1980s is a largely considered one of the best eras of comic books in terms of artistry and storytelling, and for sure, sales. So, and then this thing comes out and kind of changes everything um, to where... You know, something like I was enjoying reading the Teen Titans, which was a very layered and very enjoyable story. But suddenly you go reading the Dark Knight. You can't almost go back to reading the Teen Titans and you go reading Dark Knight. You can't go back to the the mainline comic continuity reading about Batman and Robin. And I and I think right around, either shortly before or shortly after is a death in a family where Robin gets killed. Jason Todd. So. It, this was a this was a pivot point for the industry, and I mean the Watchmen sort of I, I don't recall which one came out first, but from a different standpoint, you had the Watchmen, which were unfamiliar characters, but now you did it with maybe the most recognizable yeah. character. You took you did it with Batman, and right. I don't know who else you could do it with and, back and then. Watchmen and Batman have been lumped together because this is what they considered adult oriented comic books, mm-hmm. where. You know, in you know your regular you know monthly issue, you know there's a lot of butt kicking. Yeah, there is like mega death in here. Right. I mean, we're we're, we're talking cities. You know, in Watchmen, it was millions of people at a time in New York. Here, I mean, the Joker poisons a, a, a Boy Scout pack. Like, like literally, there's dead Boy Scouts on the ground. I mean, people they're just giving the reports of how many people have died from the nuclear winter. You know, that have frozen to death. You know, from the, the just the explosion, airplanes falling out of the sky. I mean, there there is real loss in this. The Watchmen didn't have this sort of play, but because this was Batman, I remember being in middle school and this thing getting passed around. Like me, like we, I, I was always reading comics, but like I didn't know about this. And then like 
one of my friends would have it or someone I knew had it like, oh my God, you got to read this. And I remember people talking about it and I couldn't get my hands on it. And then I remember being in a, in a, in a bookstore or something and I saw The Dark Knight Returns. I'm like, hey, on, can I grab a Batman comic? And I got like, I think it was the third issue. So I had no idea what was going on, but okay, it was so when he was fighting the, the Joker t- issue right there. Then. Yeah, so I and I, I remember being like, "Whoa!" I I had no idea what was going on, and then trying to chase down what I had missed, and it took. I don't think I. I mean, think about how difficult this was. I don't think it was until Chanel when we were in high school that I finally got hold of the whole thing, and I remember reading it and just being completely blown away. Um. Uh, before I forget. I did not see Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. I haven't either. Okay. Um, there's a scene in here, though. He's on a, like I said, David Letterman-esque talk show and just kills people, which I believe there was a scene in Joker where he does kind of the same thing. Was it De Niro? Plays uh, I know host? De Niro's in it. I don't know if he's the talk show host. Yeah, I think he's a talk show host. So, again, there's yet another example of something mined from this story that made it into you know right um something else in the legend what I, I loved when you begin your review you talked about you know how he had left batman behind but he couldn't put the batman in his mind away that the siren song of batman was always there that's perfect that's that that should to me that should be on the back of the graphic novel the the summary He's retired, but the Batman is there in his mind. The siren song of Batman is still in his mind. That is so perfect, the way you phrase that, um, in terms of, like, we. if you want to place the mentality of Bruce Wayne in this book at the beginning, that does it perfectly. So that that was well done. Yeah, like I say, he's, he's trying to pretend to be the Bruce Wayne, or he's trying to be the Bruce Wayne that he was pretending to be all those years. And he was just going through the motions for, for the most part. I obviously were much more informed readers, and you probably knew about this already. I had no idea the first time I read it that Oliver Queen was the one arm guy. I didn't pick up on that. I don't know why, but of course I was 12. So, I mean, I might not have been. I mean, the, the green arrow I'm seeing there is different from the one I saw on Super Friends. So I don't know why. Right. Maybe making a connection. I don't remember seeing the, the arrow. Um, yeah, he's I, the one that launches the uh, the kryptonite arrow towards Superman, which weakens him enough for Batman to kick his butt. Right. Um, the, the you say that the costume from the armored bat suit is an, from that Batfleck had. I think it was more than a hint. I think it was almost straight a lifted right off the page, and they even used dialogue. I thought during that fight, um, I want you to remember my hand on your throat. That whole thing, um, which in the comic was just like I remember reading like. I thought they were friends. Batman's going to kill Superman. This, I don't know what's happening here. What's My life doesn't make sense right now. Um, <laughs> there have been... You're, you're right. This has been done and redone and alluded to and nodded to. And everyone has tried to do their own version of it. And I think that the live action version, the, the Batman versus Superman, there was a total failure on that part. Um, the animated movie they did about 10 years ago was very good and we were i, I remember on the mention of it but i did not watch it um i the the best version of this i have seen was there was an episode of the batman the animated series 
where they did like I don't remember the name of the episode, but it was they did three versions of Batman. One of them was the old campy '60s Batman, and then there was there was another version of Batman, and then they did the Dark Knight. And Michael Ironside, I just looked this up, an actor you'd recognize did the voice of Batman for their version of the Dark Knight, and it was the fight with the mutant leader and what he does to the mutant leader. And like you, it's like you see him grab as he's winning the fight. You see him there in that mud pit, and Batman grabs him. And I forget what he says, but as they fade to black, you hear bones. This is not a mud pit. This is a operating room. Yeah, and I'm the surgeon. I'm the surgeon. As I remember, like they start to fade to black, you hear bones crunching. I'm like, oh my gosh! And then, but the and that was in Peter Weller, an actor we're all very familiar with. He voices uh, Bruce Wayne Batman for the full-length movie. It was a two-part movie, The Dark Knight Returns. And I thought, that I, I was, we were all nervous. I think he came out during the run of the podcast. And we all talked about, like, don't you dare. State, no. This is something you should not be doing. That thing needs to be left alone. And I watched it very reluctantly. And I remember sheepishly calling Mark. Like, so, Mark, I kind of watched that Dark Knight. And I feel like the conversation, like, we were trying to feel out what each other thought. And I told him, like, I thought it was pretty good. He's like, ah, it was pretty good. I'm like, okay. I found that scene. So, oh, they're you? wrestling in the mud pit. He says, you don't get it, boy. This isn't a mud hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. And then they show, like, thoughts. and says, something tells me to stop with the leg. I don't listen to it. <laughs> I, he just basically just cripples the guy and leaves him there in the in the mud. His his inner dialogue in that book, to me, was as good as I've heard Batman. And there was one point where I remember he kicked some some thug who was attacking him and like just really kicks right through his stomach into his spine. And mm-hmm. then the cops like you you broke his back. He's like he'll live. <laughs> He's just like yeah. And some of the things, like the only other time... I won't kill, but... Yeah, you, you know, you're not you're walking gonna... away. You're going to live, but you're not going to walk home tonight. But there was one where... It reminded me of one of my favorite... This is my only ones that I think outdo his inner dialogue, his inner monologue here, was some of the early specials they did leading into the long Halloween. And then when Batman catches up, the, like the Scarecrow made Batman relive the death of his parents with the fear gas. Mm-hmm. And one of the preliminary, oh. yeah, Tim Sale, um, uh, Jeff Loeb, and then he catches up with him finally in the long Halloween. And he goes, and he's punched, and the, the, the punch to the Scarecrow is, is very visceral for a still image. And he's like, the Scarecrow made me relive the death of my parents. I try not to enjoy breaking his ribs. I'm like, oh my gosh. And that's when you go, maybe Batman is my favorite hero because I don't know who else does that. And there's so much of that littered throughout The Dark Knight. It's very well written, which is such an understatement at this point to say. Um, So do you think, do you wish, I should say, you would have gotten to this like I got to it before everything else cribbed it to have oh, that absolutely. full effect. Like I said, absolutely. Like the fact that I, I, I've recognized some of these themes before, if this would have been the first time I'd ever seen them, 
this would have blown my mind. You know, like like when I did the review for the uh, Clockwork Angels, the first time I read it, the first time I was exposed to it, it was a you know veritable like Where's Waldo of Rush. Oh yeah. It's like oh here's a lyric from there. Here's this you know. And it was and the second time I read through it, it was like yeah okay you know it's 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 okay. You know so in, in the instance of if this had been my first exposure to these themes, you know the, these images these these ideas. You know, all together in one place. Oh my God! Like that, f- f- freaking phenomenal. But in this case, it was like, oh yeah, I've seen this here. Oh, okay, I've seen I've seen a porcelain statue of this image before. You know, it, it wasn't my first exposure, but that's tough. It was my yeah. first time through the story. Yeah, and you know, to me, um. I, I think back on this now to when I read it, and I really wasn't all that far removed from watching Adam West on Saturday morning, 12 years old, when I first get my glimpse of this. I, I mean, and he that show was still on in syndication at some point. And, and I remember the first time when I finally got hold of it, I was probably my freshman year of high school. It was maybe the first time. I mean, we saw, like, Robin die and other characters like Gwen Stacy. But then, like... You go into this reading and like you, I don't, I don't remember understanding that it wasn't part of the main story. I thought maybe it was a flash forward or something. But oh, right. is, is are they gonna kill Batman? Is he gonna die? Because the Joker already got killed. Um. So, I also really liked that you brought up the Harvey Dent because whenever this book gets talked about, which is, I mean, there's volumes and volumes and volumes of people talking about it. This is a plot point that I feel gets left behind and isn't discussed. And Harvey Dent has always been my favorite Batman villain because Harvey to me represents Batman's biggest failure. The Joe, he doesn't have any personal issue with the Joker other than he needs to stop the Joker. He doesn't care about the Joker. He would, I mean, he's not, he doesn't dwell on the Joker unless he has to chase him down. He's not sitting at home thinking about the Joker, but Harvey haunts him. The Joker doesn't haunt him. Harvey does. He represents Batman's biggest failure. He wants to fix Harvey. He still sees the man he is. And what you said, which was so perfect, is like when I look at you, I see a mirror reflection because he feels like now he's split too. And he understands. And I kind of feel like this is the only time, like maybe Batman kind of gets it with Harvey Dent. And yeah, makes Bruce him even more Wayne sympathetic. Is the one who pretty much financed his, uh, you know, physical repair. Um, you know, paid for all of his his doctors and all that stuff. You know, there's a little scene where he's going through. Bruce is going through his answering machine, and there's a message from Harvey Dent thanking him for all he did to help him out. You know, and then there's one by you know Selena Kyle's like Bruce, I'm lonely. You know, it, it's just random messages that he just ignores for the most part. And if it had not been for Harvey. Like I said, he w- he was fighting off the urge with this, this you know, street level crime, but then once Harvey Dent got involved, he he constantly said throughout the book, "I have to know, I have to know." Like he wasn't sure if it was Harvey, but it felt like Harvey. It seemed like Harvey. It's stuff Harvey would do, and that's why he had to find out for sure, and that it had to be something important enough. For him to get back on the set, you know, back in the saddle, basically. 
Well, and one of the uh, the dichotomies I love was when they show him, you know, going up against Harvey Dent, Two Face, and how personal and how, you know, how heartbreaking it is for him. And then later, when the Joker kills himself, he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> He's like, "Good, goodbye," you know. Uh, the, yeah. So, which shows like the difference between the two, like the relationships. Where I think you know the Joker obsesses over Batman, Batman just wants to stop the Joker. He puts him in jail and he doesn't think about him, you know? Right. And it's, uh, so God, you know, Hey, this is, we could do a whole second episode talking about the dark Knight, its influences, uh, its plot points and things we missed. But I mean, the one thing I didn't hear, I don't hear a lot of people talk about is, is, is the Harvey Dent relationship. So thank you for, you know, diving into that one. Oh, by all means. No, no problem. Like I said, it was an enjoyable read. I wish I had left myself a little more time. Um, but only because, you know, there, there's so much to digest, even just visually. You know, because, you know, you're familiar with Batman as a character and, you know, Gordon and everybody else. And, you know, everyone everyone is transitioning at this point. Gordon's retiring. You know, Batman is getting back into things, but now he doesn't have you know, the police turning a blind eye to him anymore. You know, there, there's like a, a veteran cop that kind of remembers Batman back when he was a rookie, you know, so he kind of remembers how to, you know, wh wh when to look away and when not to, you know, kind of a thing. So, yeah, it was um, a lot of, lot, of, lot of subtle nuances in there that uh, I, I wish I could digest a little further, but I just had to keep plowing through so well, all right I, I, great I job gary it. well thank you all right darren what we uh what we got coming up next well next month well i don't know what's going on with our pop-ups hopefully you know you and i talked about doing a little something off the path here um sad days coming in cleveland sports terry francona certainly appears to be wrapping up his career as the indians guardians manager I feel that needs to be observed. We are branching out to music in all other places. Perfect time to do it. We'll be discussing. Who knows? Maybe we get to that. Maybe we don't. But what we are going to do next month is our annual Halloween special. And I'm looking forward to that because we're about to embark on my favorite run of shows uh, for our recordings for the podcast. We don't actually show you anything. We're strictly audio. Um, and that's our Halloween special. So here's some of the things we're going to be doing. Our favorite horror Halloween-themed movie. So, I mean, we can expand on that. Halloween-themed, horror-themed, whatever we want to do. Usually we come up with some really wild, weird, wild stuff. I'm excited about that. Um, then our favorite Hollywood movie prop or artifact we would love to possess. That could just be like an actual movie-used prop or something you actually want to have. Like Ash's chainsaw arm. Um, and a retroactive review, which is done by we don't know who. So we'll see who's on not that. You're not you. You're, you're here, and I believe I am not also. But we're going to run through uh, what's coming up here in the panel scanners. Month after next, we're going to do our annual holiday special. And it's a real, real special one this year. And I will say, this was the brainchild of you, sir. And as soon as you mentioned it, I... Dang near jumped out of my chair. This is so awesome. I cannot wait for this. 
Do you want to tell uh, the kiddies listening at home what we're going to be doing in November for our holiday special? I am looking forward to hearing what you guys come up with. Now, we all know that there's classic films out there, and we know that Hollywood has this nasty habit of rebooting films that should be left alone. But what if we took these beloved classics and rebooted them with only the Muppets? I'd... We're going to put together our own little personal lists of what films we would love to see remade with the Muppets. Yeah, and usually for these segments in the holiday special, we would do one segment and give our three, oh, no, no, this is the entire thing. We're doing our top ten. So each one of us has to come up with ten movies we want to watch remade with Muppets. So Do that... not touch these films unless it is done with Muppets. Right. You should never remake this. We're going to remake Star Wars, the original Star Wars. No, you're not. We're going to do Muppets. Okay, I can't wait to see it. I mean, let's go up. I already bought the ticket in my head. I don't go to movies much anymore. I will see that. Um, and then uh, coming in December, our end of the year awards. Uh, the Scannies. The Scanny Awards, which we're really excited about. I always love doing it. And then... On the other side of the new year is one of my favorite episodes, and that's our What You Looking Forward To episode. We're going to run down all the things we're most looking forward to in the calendar year. Coming up in the calendar year 2024 will be really interesting to see what those things are, considering we might not have new movies and TV shows, or at least not many of them. So we'll be relying on uh, other things that we'll be looking forward to. Um, Oh, yeah, that's for sure. So I'm excited. There's a lot of good stuff. Uh, anything else, Gary? You want to wrap us up and send us home? No, I'm, uh, I, I am tapped out. So uh, thank you again for joining us. Darren, you got anything? Or that was your, you're empty as well? Cool. All right. Thank you once again for joining us here at the Panel Scanners. And until next time, enjoy your comics.